Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's Event and Volunteer Operations Coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our one goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org, or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal 10 cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. It's really an unbelievable experience. And uh, the stories that I've heard over the, the years that I've ridden Pelotonia are just incredible. Pelotonia has been an unbelievably uh, successful event that has really helped the cancer hospital get to where it is today. Welcome to One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. We're a passionate community dedicated to funding innovative cancer research. I'm your host and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Pelotonia is powered by an unstoppable community. And it's through research we will see an end to cancer. We want to thank our major funding partners for making all of this possible. The American Electric Power Foundation, Bath & Body Works, Huntington, Peggy & Richard Santulli, and Victoria's Secret. When you're done experiencing this episode, we'd be honored if you would leave a review and share it with family and friends. This really helps extend the impact of this series and helps further our one goal. Thank you. And now... On to the episode. Well, we are super excited to have Dr. Pilfar on the One Goal podcast today. So thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, and this is a treat uh, for me and maybe for you too, because we're in this new fancy studio that Ohio State built. And it's very nice. This is my very first nice. time here. So uh, this, is, this is pretty awesome. They don't have any Pelotonia green though. No, no, maybe we can leave a magnet or something, but uh, I think we've got a pretty awesome episode uh, in front of us today and, and really want to just start, you know, go through your life and career and some of the things that you've learned and, and people you've met, but um, sort of by way of introduction, why don't you give the audience a little bit about just who you are, where you grew up, what you do now? Well, um, I uh, decided to... Uh, going medicine many years ago. I grew up in Aurora, Illinois. And um, besides participating in sports, I worked uh, at our local hospital every summer. I worked there uh, like three summers and uh, did a little bit of everything. And uh, really at that time, I got to know one of the doctors very well, who was a friend of the family that uh, I really wanted to go into medicine. Even though I was in high school, I uh, assisted some in the operating room and in the <laughs> cast room. I'm not sure that would be allowed today, but, uh, and got very interested in surgery. Yeah. Um, and uh, from there, uh, went to Illinois Wesleyan University in Bloomington, Illinois. They had a, a great pre-med program and they also uh, gave me the opportunity to uh, participate in football, basketball, and golf. So triple, so, uh, triple sport athlete back in the day. Well, yeah, uh, but it was just a lot of fun. Uh, met a lot of uh, great people and I had a great education uh, that uh, got me to uh, be able to go to University of Virginia to medical school. So I went there and uh, spent four years 
and then matched at Ohio State to okay. do a general surgery residency. And so um, came here uh, in uh, 1971 and um, did uh, five years of general surgery residency. Uh, but uh, Dr. Carey, the chairman of the department, called me into his office one day and kind of surprised me and said, uh, why don't you skip your third year of residency and become uh, our first Ohio State Surgical Oncology Fellow? They wanted to start a fellowship. So this would have been your first time getting into sort of the cancer world at this right. point. Yeah. yeah, I did not. My plan at that time was to return to rural Illinois once I finished my residency and uh, be a general surgeon. Yeah, um, work, in the, work in the operating room with a license. <laughs> uh, yes, it, yes, that uh, would have been probably better. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, uh, they wanted to start a fellowship, and it was sort of late in the year to, uh, to go and do a match or anything. So okay. I dropped out of my residency for a year and uh, spent a year uh, doing surgical oncology. And it was, it was truly a blessing. Uh, I got to work all year with Dr. Arthur James, okay. uh, who uh, uh, most people know around here because of the James Cancer Hospital. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but it was, a, it was a great, great year uh, and really confirmed uh, uh, for sure that I wanted to go into surgery and really pointed me the direction of surgical oncology. What was it about cancer and surgical oncology different than just sort of the general surgery you had been doing? You, you that, know, what I learned that year was just the question that you just presented. There's a huge difference. Yeah. And the big difference is that you, you, you join uh, with a patient on a journey. And that journey starts when they're diagnosed with cancer and uh, the journey ends hopefully when they're cured. Um, And I really enjoyed uh, uh, working with Dr. James and seeing how he interacted with patients and really helped them along through their journey. Many people, as you know, get recurrent, whatever type of cancer it is. So you need to help them through the journey. And and I I, I found that that was a a very worthwhile uh, endeavor and something that I wanted to do. Yeah. So this was in the early 70s. Were you specialized in any type of cancer at this point or were you doing surgeries on no, all different uh, types of at cancer? At that time, uh, we were doing really most types of surgery. So I was not specialized in anything at that time. I okay. was just doing my training. And then once I finished my residency at Ohio State, uh, Dr. James uh, suggested that I go to Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City and do a two-year fellowship there. Did he uh, know someone there? He, he that... knew. He had, he had gone there back oh, in the late okay. 40s wow. uh, and had stayed in touch with almost everyone at Memorial. So um, I think he had a little pull to get me in. Because when I asked him uh, how I go about getting in, he said, don't worry about it, you're already <laughs> in. So I knew he had some connections, yeah. but uh, it, was, it was probably the best two years that, that I've ever had in medicine, working with really world-renowned surgical oncologists, uh, as well as medical oncologists. And uh, that two years really uh, convinced me that working in surgical oncology was all I wanted to do. So what year did you return back to Ohio State? 82. So you returned in 82. I mean, everybody knows the James, you know, especially locally, just as this amazing institution and hospital. I don't know that people always put sort of the face to the name, if you will. Give, tell us a little bit about Dr. James and what he was like as a mentor to you. 
He, uh, he grew up in Ohio. His uh, father and mother came uh, to southeastern Ohio from, uh, from Italy. Uh, and uh, Dr. James's real name is Arthur Giacomo James. Really? So Giacomo was his last name, and he changed it when he went to medical school to James. Uh, That's fast. So, I did uh, not know that. Yeah. So, um, but he um, trained at Ohio State, uh, and uh, he went to Memorial Sloan Kettering after the war to finish a surgical oncology fellowship. Came back to Ohio in 1948 and had had such a great experience at Memorial that he thought the Midwest needed a cancer hospital like Memorial. Uh, but you talk about perseverance. In 1960, in the Columbus Dispatch, a headline said, cancer hospital to be built in Columbus, Ohio. It took him 30 years later to get the job done. And in 1987, uh, when they, they put the cornerstone in, uh, uh, President Jennings at the time uh, announced that the hospital was going to be called the Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital. So he, did he know, know had that? No clue. So that was a complete it. surprise. And it was to him. announced at a meeting uh, when they had put the cornerstone wow. in. So he was pretty overwhelmed with that, yeah. uh, but really, uh, uh, really culminated a lifelong dream to bring a cancer hospital to Columbus, Ohio. So as you sort of the early 80s and, and sort of continue, you just continued to work with Dr. James and continue to really hone your craft in surgical oncology. Uh, I did. I came back and um, uh, soon became head of surgical, on division chief of surgical oncology uh, and worked right along with Dr. James. Uh, he at that time was just doing thyroid surgery and breast surgery, uh, and I was doing all the other surgeries. So. Uh, okay. So we, uh, you know, had a breast clinic together, but I had my own clinics and uh, really started to uh, to build up a practice and to work alongside Dr. James in, in getting the, all the final details for the new cancer, for the James Cancer Hospital, yeah. uh, which opened in uh, July of 1990. The first cancer hospital uh, was extremely successful. Um, uh, it had 140 beds, and we soon needed 160 beds. Yeah. Uh, and it grew up to, of taking uh, uh, beds from uh, from Doan Hall. Uh, since they were contiguous, we could uh, use them as James' bed. So we got up to about 185 beds and then decided we need to build a new hospital. Yeah which, uh, which uh, happened. Uh, and as most people know, it opened in 2014 with 356 beds. And we're soon, once all the construction gets done, we'll have end up with 502 beds yep. uh, if they all are opened. Uh, and at that time, we will be this, assuming Memorial doesn't open up any further beds, we'll be the second largest cancer hospital in the country. What do you think? Dr. James would think of what's going on today and just having his his name. Well, I think he would be. I think he'd be overwhelmed. He, uh, uh, you know, uh, he he was a at least uh, on appearance a, a quiet person, but uh, uh, over the years I got to know a, a, a part of him that wasn't so quiet. Uh, but he, uh, he, he, would, he wouldn't say much about it, but I think uh, he, he was really overwhelmed when uh, uh, in 87, when the hospital was named for him. Uh, yeah. it, uh, it really brought home uh, you know, a life's work uh, and, uh, and the success of, uh, 
uh, of, of having a, a cancer hospital like Memorial and MD Anderson in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's been a, a, a very successful uh, uh, hospital. I guess maybe in the 2000s, you know, mid 2000s, this idea of, you know, sort of grassroots philanthropy and getting the community sort of involved, I assume at this point, conversations about the new James Hospital and building a new hospital had started. But do you remember when you first heard of Pelotonia and we're going to try to get these people in spandex out on a bike in scenic rural Ohio? And <laughs> do you remember when those conversations started? I do remember it very well. And, um, you know, philanthropy was always something that, uh, that we really stressed. I mean, that was a big part of, of, of the James uh, uh, Cancer Hospital and Soloff Research Institute. Mr. Soloff uh, probably was one of the first uh, people to donate. Actually, Dave Thomas donated in 63, wow. what, 27 years before the hospital opened, uh, a fund from Wendy's to help pay for the cancer hospital. Wow. And so <laughs> he was the first uh, person to donate, but... Uh, uh, Dick Soloff came soon after him, and there was a whole group of those leaders of Columbus that really uh, jumped in and really helped support uh, the cancer hospital get off the ground. Yeah. So philanthropy was always something that we discussed at our meetings, and uh, uh, I remember some of the first discussions that we had about Pelotonia and uh, you know the ways to get it off the ground and get going. I remember the first ride. Uh, I've uh, both my wife and I have ridden in um, in all the Right. Yeah, every year. Yeah, the first year we did 25, not knowing if we'd make it or not. <laughs> uh, and it was so simple that uh, we decided next year to do 50, and we've done 50, uh, well, 57. Yeah, I know. I keep the last yeah, year. I, I don't want to bring that up again, <laughs> but my wife's still complaining about that. But anyway, uh, it, uh, it, you know, obviously Pelotonia has been an unbelievably uh, successful uh, event that has really helped. Uh, the cancer hospital get to where it is today. Yeah. What's it like for you? You know, you've, you've, you've participated every year. You know, you're part of the community. You've taken care of so many patients that live around here. And when you see patients alive and healthy and happy and riding alongside you in Pelotonia, what's that like? It's really an unbelievable experience. And, uh, it, it, you know, if you ask me, uh, you know, is there a favorite moment about uh, Pelotonia or anything like that? I'll tell you, there there's so many uh, unbelievable moments. Uh, when I when, when I'm riding, you know, you know, one of the best things I, I think uh, happens is when uh, you see someone that you have uh, helped along their journey. Uh, and uh, they tell you what they're doing now and their family and everything, uh, uh, as well as, as, as people that I just write up to and say hi. And, and the next 20 minutes we're riding together and they're telling me about their journey. Yeah. Uh, and the stories that I've heard over the, the years that I've ridden Pelotonia are just incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of these times, uh, you know, I'll see the same person the next year and they'll come up and introduce themselves again. And to me, that's, uh, you know, obviously raising money is, uh, is the key, but uh, yeah, just, just riding and talking to people uh, is, is just a phenomenal experience. Yeah. 
to switch gears a little bit, and I, you know, you just performed your last surgery, um, you know, after 46 years and over 20,000 surgeries, and there was a amazing video posted online. Um, you got to walk down the halls uh, of the James, and how has it changed? Like, how can you articulate the change in care? from 46 years ago to today and sort of what the future has to hold for somebody that does get diagnosed with breast cancer and, you know, 46 years ago might not have been a very good prognosis. It's just been a, a, a phenomenal uh, experience uh, and a time to, to be in cancer work and cancer therapy because the changes that are going on are, are just phenomenal. When I started, doing breast cancer surgery as a resident back in 75. The patient usually came in feeling a lump in their breast. We didn't have mammograms back then. Or yes, we they had felt them, it themselves. But, but they were very primitive and didn't think to be very helpful. So they had a mass in their breast. We would take them to the operating room, take the mass out, send it to pathology. And if it was cancer, do a radical mastectomy, which involved removing all the breast tissue, all the muscles of the chest wall and all the lymph nodes under the arm wow. and put a, a drain in and send them home. And that was just, that was what you did. So they would come to the hospital with a lump in their breast and get scheduled for surgery, leave a couple of days, two or three days after the surgery without a breast. Wow. And they didn't get to think about it. They didn't get, to, there was no reconstruction options. There was really no other treatment. There was one chemotherapy drug that sometimes we used and that was it. So let's fast forward to 2022, where a patient comes in, usually diagnosed because of an abnormal mammogram. Tumors are a lot smaller, much easier to take care because of. Because you catch them earlier and... We do a needle biopsy, usually, hopefully the day that we see them and look at their films and everything. And that needle biopsy tells us what kind of cancer it is. And we look at different receptors, estrogen receptor, progesterone, HER2 receptors to help us make decisions about treatment. And then talk to the patient, tell them their options of treatment. There's usually at least two options, a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. A mastectomy with reconstruction, different types of radiation, different types of chemotherapy. So all of these things are discussed upfront mm -hmm. before deciding what surgery to do, take them to the operating room, do what surgery is necessary, let them recover and then decide, do you need radiation? Do you need hormonal therapy? Do you need chemotherapy? And now the new player on the block is immunotherapy. Immunotherapy, yeah. I'll bet that in the next two or three years, there'll be certain types of cancer that we won't do surgery on, breast cancer. So if you just think about that for a second and how things have evolved over the last 40 years, it, it, it's truly phenomenal. That's pretty incredible um, to think that someone could come in with breast cancer and to not have to do surgery. It's really unbelievable. Actually, there's already been a clinical trial done to answer that question at MD Anderson, uh, and it didn't quite meet the standards where we could do it yet. But when we start using more and more immunotherapy, you know, which means we're, we're given drugs to have your own body kill the disease or whatever, mm -hmm. it won't be too long where, where that, that will be an option. One of the things you mentioned earlier was one of the big differences between general surgery and sort of oncology was being along for this journey. 
sort of with a patient and you know as you reflect upon that and having been on you know thousands of journeys um, with people in your career what's it like to be able to say to someone they have options and you know knowing that years ago decades ago you were there was one path and it was surgery and it wasn't pretty and now it's you know potentially a menu of options and that you can now focus on something that I feel like you really care about, which is quality of life. What's that like for you? It's really a tremendous feeling because um, we know that there are a lot of people that uh, you know don't need to have a debilitating mastectomy. And even if they do, we've got such good reconstruction efforts. But now, um, and, and this is most cancers. I, again, I'm just referring to breasts because that's the one that I'm most familiar with over the last 10 years. But when a patient comes in having been diagnosed with breast cancer, they just don't see a surgeon. They see a medical oncologist. They see a radiation oncologist. They see a, um, uh, it, be seen in our survivorship clinic, and they see a plastic surgeon. And so, and, and a lot of these we provide for the patient the same day that they mm-hmm. come to the the breast clinic. So it's it's a team effort, and. Uh, uh, I think I, I think that really helps our patients to get the perspective of of how their journey is going to happen. And I'll tell you, I can't tell you uh, the the number of people that uh, you know breast. A lot of breast cancers are hereditary, mm-hmm. uh, and so the I, not so much anymore because I'm I'm getting older, I guess. But when, back when I was starting to do this. There were so many patients that would come in that would tell me, well, my mother had breast cancer and I don't want to have to go through what she went through. Uh, And when they find out that, no, they don't have to. They can do less, uh, have a a lot safer drugs uh, and get an overall better result. It's like like someone turns the light bulb on. You still need surgery and you still need some therapy, but it's not going to be like anything your mother had. It, it, it's really remarkable to see how, how patients respond to that and how they realize, you know, I'm going to get through this and uh, you all are going to help me uh, uh, down the road. You know, it's just really been interesting to, to follow these women through their journey. And before I stopped uh, seeing patients a month or so ago, uh, I mean, I had patients that I'd taken care of back in the late 70s and early 80s that wow. were still coming to see me. Uh, they've, they've just had remarkable journeys. So you're retiring this summer as, Sometime. you know, the CEO <laughs> of the James. And do you ever like step back and reflect on, you know, Dr. James was your mentor. You wanted to end up in Aurora, Illinois at, <laughs> at a hospital and, and, and doing general surgery. And here you are leading one of the world's best cancer institutions in a building named after your mentor. Do you ever just sit back and think about that? You know, I really haven't yet, but now that I know that down the road uh, that I am going to, uh, I've retired from practice. Um, and uh, so I'm not, I'm not doing any surgeries anymore or seeing patients. And, and uh, I'm starting to, to miss that because the best part of my day was talking to patients and uh, hearing their concerns and, uh, and helping them with their concerns. 
to me, that's, uh, that's uh, what was the best part of, of my career is, uh, is just helping patients through their journey. And yes, I, I love doing surgery, obviously. I, I did quite a few and I've done them for quite a while, but uh, seeing the patients, being in clinic uh, and helping them through their issues and their problems has, has been a, a remarkable uh, time to, to do what I did. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't change that for uh, uh, for anything. You know, I think think back a lot about Dr. James, and uh, you know, um, I I sort of followed what he told me to do. Um, it's all worked out pretty well. Yeah, safe to say he had a pretty good playbook for you. He did. What's uh, what's the future hold? Uh, are you gonna pick up some golf clubs a little more often, <laughs> and uh, what plans do you have? Well. Um, I have a, a, a tremendous supportive wife uh, that uh, will be married next month, 47 years. Uh, and I couldn't have done any of this without her. Yeah. And so um, having uh, raised my uh, four kids and we have seven grandkids. And uh, so asking me what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to uh, spend more time with her and do things that she wanted to do. She was always uh, looking uh, to travel and uh, the pandemic may slow us down a little, but we hope to do some traveling and um, and spend more time with our uh, uh, with our grandkids. I love so. it. I love it. Well, this was a pleasure and and certainly a treat for for everyone in the Pelotoni community just to hear your story. And you are a remarkable human being. I've been so mm-hmm. privileged to get to know you over the last couple of years, and you will be missed. But we know you won't be a stranger. Nope, we've already uh, signed up for the. 57, 57 this year. Right. It's, a, it's it's labeled correctly this year, I assure you. But you're going to get rid of some of the hills, I hope. Uh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> we're going to try to throw in an extra rest stop at the end. <laughs> That'll work. This has been One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. I'm your host, cancer survivor and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Interview and production scheduling by our marketing and communications team, Gabby Blauert, John Tolbert, and Alita Smith. One Goal is carefully crafted, produced, and mastered at the studios of Wessler Media. Special thank you to all of our guests for being so willing to share their inspiring journeys for this podcast. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe so you can listen to previous episodes and receive notifications about future ones. If you wanna learn more about the Pelotonia community, and how you can make an impact on cancer research, see the link in the show notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org.